we may hear about Brother Malcolm, we may hear about Dr. Martin Luther King, the civil rights movement. What we don't hear is the people that finance the work that they did. We don't hear about the dry cleaners or the independent real estate person in that tycoon in that area. We don't hear about Madam C.J. Walker who was financing the Garvey movement and that the entrepreneur is the one who finances change in the black community. Hey, this is Seiko, Fly Guys Seiko from the Fly Guys podcast. There are times when I interview people that I really don't necessarily agree with or I don't agree with all of their positions. This is one of those times. <laughs> ah, but enjoy the ride. Stay fly, stay fly. You're listening to the Fly Guy Show. They do everything on the fly and in such a fly manner. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. The views expressed on the Fly Guy Podcast by the guests of the Fly Guy Podcast are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. <laughs> hey, this is Arnie Thomas here on the Bold School Podcast. You're listening to Psycho Vaughner's Fly Guy Podcast. Support, like, subscribe, and share. He's saying some good things. Share it. Don't keep it to yourself. Well, man, welcome back to the Fly Guys Podcast. Tonight, I wanted to highlight two things before we get started. I want to highlight a uh, DVD and I want to highlight a book. This book is The uh, Power to Prosperous, Michelle Singletary. Good stuff if you haven't had a chance to get into it. Good sister, good information. Help us get out of debt, get our uh, get out of debt, get our economics straight. And Black Friday, our friend of the show, Rick Mathis from Black Friday. This is the remix version. Have you seen this? I, I have three videos that I really highly recommend people check out when it deals with economics. One is called Generation One, The Search for Black Wealth. The second one is a film called 7 a.m. And that shows if we don't own our own businesses, how we're really going to put ourselves in a bad quagmire. And this one shows how we really spend ourselves into depression and spend ourselves into debt with our spending habits. Black Friday is a great film. If you haven't seen Black Friday, check that out. But today on the show, we have the irritated genius... <laughs> As we came up with last time Bro, you were down here in the Hampton Roads area And you did a talk on Mind Your Black Business And I tell you, man I was just enthralled with that talk, bro So I was hoping that you could talk about that tonight And then, you know, of course You can go anywhere you want to go So welcome to the show And salute to Crumb Snatcher Good to have you back on the show, good brethren all right, so uh, Irritated Genie, man, how did you come up with the concept of mind your black business? You know, uh, so many years I've been doing very serious topics, social issues. Right. The homophilia, the pedophilia, the genocide, all of these different things. But it, it took years to realize, and of course, you know, because... And I had a pretty good job, if you will, as, as far as jobs. <laughs> right, right. That makes I a difference. You know, Uncle Sam, you know, so it was easy. I, I didn't have to worry about the reality of the, the, the situation that when you get very serious, that your enemy's not going to finance you. And I was serious, but I, I, was, I was financed through a job. So I would take that money and spend it in everything you see that I've built, the whole empire in terms of the information. Uh, the vast majority of it, I put money. I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it was it was money I was making kind of easily at a job that I found easy to do. 
And it was at some point doing it when I started realizing, well, first I realized this is not going to last forever. They're not going to sit here and pay me $115,000 a year to go out here and fight them. They're not going to keep doing this. But it was also as I started really paying attention to the reality, I realized something. People were saying, this, this whole thing is about economics. And we don't get that and we can't win. And, and I was thinking, I knew that one thing was an uh, error. I knew that economics wasn't the most important thing. The reason being, because those who want their economics to get right will turn over to homosexuality, they'll pay you to do that. So if economics is the most important thing, then you shouldn't have a soul. Just go ahead and do what all the gays are doing and participate in behavior that's unbecoming of our people or the rap thing and, 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 and put out negative messages to our people. There's ways for you to get money if integrity is not more important and the racial survival is not more important. So I knew that that wasn't accurate. However, I also know the pain of poverty. I know also know the pain of struggle without finance. So I said, they have a point. And it took me some time as I was thinking about it, but I said, you know what? I get it. It is not that economics is the most important things for black people. That is not true. However, it is the number one tool used to keep us oppressed. Those are two different things. So <laughs> in other words, and I'm talking about for those of us that have a consciousness, for those of us that can see what's going on and understand what's going on. Beyond that, it is about the fact that the reality of it is no, no matter how brilliant we are, how much information we think we have, you really can't do nothing without any money and financial back. It's bottom right, line. Right. So I said, oh, this is how they keep us enslaved because by the time you figure out what's going on, it's only a few of you and they can isolate you and make sure you don't have no money. And then you have, uh, I, Ida B. Wells Barnett used to say, she did with those who could, wouldn't, and those who would, couldn't. Right. And that's what happens in this situation to a large degree. Some of our most capable minds and people with the greatest courage don't have the economic capacity to put forth programs to do the things that we need to be done. And then those that do have access to those kind of resources cherish those resources so, so much they don't want to run the risk of losing them so they don't go out and do things for our people. So I said, I've got to do something because if we're going to be effective at saving ourselves in the 21st century, we cannot ignore economics. It's impossible. We'll keep running in place with a bunch of smart people with no tangible results. So I, I went out and said, let me go about the business of explaining to people what economics really is and how it really works and how central it is to keeping us oppressed while at the same time dispelling the notion that our self-respect and our cultural identity as African people and our family situation is less important than the economics. We can have both, but we have to understand that when we decide to have both, the number one way, and this is for any black person out there, and I'm not talking about black rich, I'm talking about wealth. The number one way to draw the ire and the anger of Euro-Asiatics around this world, Arabs, is that if you decide or if you figure out how to develop wealth for black people, continue sustained economic development. When you do that, that is when wars start. That is when the violence begins. That is when you're on the top of the list because this is one thing that Europeans understand and Arabs understand, every Asiatics, everyone understands, except I don't know if black people understand. Mm. The, the, the thing is this, any people who can finance their own liberation cannot be kept in a state of oppression. It doesn't mean you can't oppress them. Right, cannot be kept there. 
you can't be kept there because you can pay somebody to fight. It's, it's not most complex than that. You can pay people to fight, and if you pay people to fight and they believe in your cause, they will fight for money. It's a bottom line. It's called the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine. People don't do that because they think it's a good thing to do. They do it because their lives are taken care of. They can develop a good life ultimately because they get paid. Wow. And, you know, that's an important piece to go along with the three videos I talked about. Uh, I'm pointing out 7 a.m. by Jason Black, you know, www.7ammovie.com. So Jason Black's film about making sure we handle our business to make sure that we are wealth and we have the finances to take care of our business really kind of goes along with your point, brother. And I'm I'm, man, I'm, I'm telling you, when I heard you speak about mind your black business, I was enthralled with it. Uh, I, you, you had me on the edge of my seat, man. Yeah, the, one of the things about it is that when we do our education from kindergarten to 12th grade, we get very little historical perspective of how important independent black entrepreneurship is to our freedom struggle. We may hear about Brother Malcolm. We may hear about Dr. Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement. What we don't hear is the people that finance the work that they did. We don't hear about the dry cleaners or the independent real estate person in that tycoon in that area. We don't hear about Madam C.J. Walker, who was financing the Garvey Movement and the NAACP or, or different groups around the country, black folks. Uh, we don't know that... Uh, 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 even though, we, of course, we have issues with her getting sisters straighten their hair, but one of the things we have to realize is that, yeah, maybe she didn't hit everything on the cylinder, but one of the things she did do, she was... Okay, when she passed, I think this sums it up. Uh, uh, Sister Quasi and her sisters in the struggle, Mama Ashra, uh, Mama Mary Raquazi, she puts this quote from Madam C.J. Walker in there. She said, on her deathbed, the only reason I regret dying is because... I want to put more money into finance and helping our people get out of this condition. That was her issue with passing was that I haven't given enough. And she was giving, I mean, she was making millions of dollars and she was giving it to our people to pull us out of this condition. We don't talk enough. We don't learn these in our school. We don't learn that the entrepreneur is the one who finances change in the black community. Wow. Would you say that's true for all communities? That's true for all communities. But, but the difference is other communities have an infrastructure of teaching their children about entrepreneurship, getting them involved in their businesses, uh, things of that nature. We had that. In fact, we did it better than anybody. We know about Black Wall Street, Rosewood, but there were so many other communities, uh, uh, St. Louis, East St. Louis, so many different black communities in this country, Free, Free, Freemansville, um, just so many places where we did it, but it was deconstructed through uh, integration, the period of what we call integration and desegregation and also the crack epidemic era and bringing in foreigners like the Asians into black communities, the Arabs, the Asians, the Jews into black communities to take over the economic infrastructure. But, but, but there were periods in this country where in terms of black economic self-development and empowerment, nobody did it better than black people. Right. What happened? Yes, sir. <laughs> it's one thing that we don't understand, even though our self-respect and our integrity 
and our culture is the most important thing because that's defining of who we are. That's more important than anything as it relates to who we are, our identity. However, it is not our identity that the number one tool to keep us oppressed. The number one tool to keep us in the condition we're in is economics. Because no matter how good we feel about ourselves, when we attempt to duplicate our ideas of how we should be, who we should be, how we should raise our children, the kind of environment we should live in, how we should operate with one another, we can only do that when we're financing it. When we're paying for the buildings, we're paying for the programs, we're paying for the clothing. And when we're void of that infrastructure, no matter how good our ideas are, our people have to live. And so in having to live, people make concessions and do what they can do to make it day to day. And so what has happened is we have a lot of great ideas and a lot of understanding. But much of what we need to do to change our condition is going to be done by actual programs that are put in place to facilitate those changes. And in each case, those programs have to be funded. And so what Europeans, Asiatics, Arabs have done is that they've made it very difficult for black people to fund the righteous cause of liberation and and, and independence and self-empowerment and community development in the black world community, not just in America, around the world. This has become a problem. And so we did mind your black business to say, brothers and sisters, there is no liberation without finance. There's no finance for liberation for black people and upliftment that doesn't come from black people. The only thing others will finance us to do is to remain enslaved. White folks do not finance black people to be independent of white interests. Arabs do not fund black people to be independent of Arab interests. Asiatics do not fund black people to be independent operators, void and free of Asiatic control. Only black people have an interest in funding organic, genuine black self-development. It sounds to me like everyone else is taking care of themselves. That's exactly it as well. You know, we used to do this. We if we talk about post-slavery period, post-reconstruction. We did that. Um, I, I mean, uh, not post-reconstruction during reconstruction, post-slavery during reconstruction from 1865 to, to 1875. We built more thriving communities. We almost all but eliminated. Are you still there with me, brother? I'm still here, still there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are all, all, almost all but eliminated illiteracy uh, during Reconstruction. And we built communities around this uh, country that were self-sustaining. And it was through a few processes that Europeans put in place that they began to undermine our independent, self-governing institutions and communities because, for the most part, it was the Zionists, the white so-called Jews. It was whites in general, but more specifically, the Jews saw independent black self-determination and empowerment as a major threat to their interests. Wow. So so what do we do now? And I know what your answer is. Your answer is your presentation, mind your black business. Go deep into that, bro. Sure, sure. What we have to do now is realize 
the real source. First of all, we have to have an understanding of economics. So let me let me. Just, I'm gonna start there, and then I'm gonna come more into some practical things. Okay. We have to start. Well, we don't have to. I believe that it's important to start with theory. Because the theory that you operate with leads into the actual behavior that you participate in. Okay. If you have the wrong theory, you're going to do the wrong things because you're driven by the wrong pulses. The theory of understanding economics and how it really works. If we're in America, let's look at capitalism. Okay. We use the word capitalism and we throw it out there like we know what it means. But the truth of it is we don't have a practical definition that is functional and usable for black people. Let me make it simple. Capitalism is the economic system of racism, white supremacy. (laughs) It just describes how white folks come into another community with another group, determine what their means of exchange and, 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 and commerce is, take control of it, and then use that control to take the wealth from that group and give themselves wealth. That's all it is. You got something I want. I'm not going to pay for it. I'm going to come take it and then use your wealth to empower me as my wealth. That's capitalism. Mm. It's not a system that operates outside of a group. Like, like we, we tend to think of it capitalism. But no, it's the European system. Now, what is the place assigned to black people under capitalism? There's a word for it that we have, and it's a system. We don't understand it that way, though. When we hear this word, we think it's a state. It's not a state people are in. It's an actual formulated system. It's called poverty. Oh, oh, okay, okay. That's one of the things that woke me up at your lecture. You said that poverty was contrived. It's a system, yeah. It's, this is what poverty is. Like I show it all the time. I show the pictures of South Africa. And you see these glorious skyscrapers and this stuff. I mean, it's a gorgeous place. Then I show you where the black people live. And I mean, it's so miserable that you don't even want to look at it on a computer. So I say, if you look at this, the people there, that land is wealthy. But look at the state that black people are in. They're impoverished. Why? Because under the system of capitalism, which is the economic system of racism and white supremacy, the condition contrived for black people is poverty. Now, even to understand what poverty is, we think of it as being broke, not having any money, uh, living in terrible conditions, and that is part of it, but that's not really the fullness of it. Is that the, uh, the expression of poverty rather than the cause and the actual experience of poverty? Yeah, exactly. That's one of the expressions of poverty. But the true essence of poverty is not that. The real true essence of poverty in terms of it being a system that is forced on black people internationally is that it doesn't matter whether you have resources or not. You cannot use your resources to better your condition. So in other words, yeah. let me compare two people, and I say both of them are poverty. The black person who lives in what's the what's the what's the most economically depraved poor, uh, part of Norfolk? What's the area down there? It's like the worst neighborhood. All right, we'll say uh, we'll say East Brambleton. All right, let's say East Brambleton. 
And let's say the poorest part of East Brambleton was somebody that has eight children and they don't have any money. We look at that and see poverty, and it is. But that's just one expression. Let me go to another expression. LeBron James. LeBron James has incredible money. Like, you and I look at that money and be like, man, what we would do if we had that money? Now, you're telling me that you're going to connect LeBron James and poverty. Yep, let's see. Let's see. All right, all right, let's see. LeBron James said some comment about, hey, I want to uh, I want to stack chips. Or I want to make money like uh, Hebrew. He said something in the pot. He was right. Right. He said something. He was trying to say it in a positive way. You know, I want to do what the Jews doing and keep my money good. You know, something. Whatever he said. They jumped on him immediately and made it very clear to him. You're going to say that it was a mistake and you're going to push off of that and you're going to do it now. Why? Because LeBron James can say that. I mean, he can make all the money. He can have all of this stuff. But it's understood. We're letting you be a rich, impoverished person. But if you dare think about taking that and actually starting an African-centered school or starting an exchange between Africa and America or... Or, or literally saying that you're going to start a force of people that protect the community so that the police won't be as needed. Or if you do anything that threatens the modus operandi of how things are working, you're going to find out very quickly what that money you have in the bank really means. I thought that was deep. I thought that was deep. Uh, it reminded me when... Michael Jackson made a song. I know we're all anti-Michael Jackson right now. You know, uh, you know, hashtag mute Michael Jackson. But he made that song, They Don't Really Care About Us. And he had a line that said, Jew me, do me. And on the radio stations, they immediately cleaned it up where it was just like an audio blur. So you didn't hear the word Jew. They actually, he said, Jew me, screw me. Everybody do me, kick me, kike me, don't you black or white me. All I want to say is that they don't really care about us. Now, right, right. they made him take the line, they made him repress the albums without those lines in the, in the song. So all, all of this money he has, and next thing you know, they taking pictures of his Genitals saying that he's a, a pedophile molesting children. Now, I don't know if he was or not, so I'm not defending Michael on any level. What I am saying is this all the money that he had didn't stop him from getting to the point where he said Tommy Matola's the devil. Now, he's running around with the Nation of Islam. Michael didn't show any uh, predisposition to be pro black, but he got beat up so bad once he bought the Beatles catalog, <laughs> and now <laughs> he owns the rights to the Beatles music. He's, he's making power moves economically. And we saw how much money, we saw how much power he had. Bill Cosby. Yeah, Bill Cosby, we thought he was wealthy. No, he's black rich. <laughs> he's black rich. He used to be. He used to be. He used to be. But he's still in a system of poverty because, again, he's. Well, now he's like this. You know, he's behind bars. Right. But he said. I want to buy NBC because I want to do better programming. Well, the small hats have said, no, we're doing programming designed to create the world that we want. You're not going to go in and do any programming. 
He said, I'm buying NBC. His son ended up dead. I, I remember when he made that statement and then not too long, Ennis was killed. Two couple now, years you know, ago. There's been a lot of talk, particularly in the uh, conscious thought community and those who like to stay informed that he really wasn't making moves to purchase NBC, but he was talking about it. And some people make a, a big distinction about him talking about it and actually making moves towards that end. I don't know where that landed. Yeah, well, back during that time, he was serious. He was about to buy, he wanted to buy NBC because he had seen, see, this is the thing. And again, it goes back to poverty and the system that we're in. Sometimes people get beside themselves and don't really understand what they're really dealing with. And from then, this is all my interpretive uh, perspective. But basically, Cosby was in a situation. On some level, I know we see some of the things that he was accused of and may have done. But um, outside of that, I'm talking about from the perspective of just being a guy who took over television with a program that ultimately was about decency. Strong family moral values. That's what the story about. Good family, children going to school, parents love their children, grandparents, family. That's what the program was about. He saw the ability to take over TV with that and said, if you give good programming, he got all these children with he when he spun off to a different world. People like myself, all of us, you know, we went to black colleges because we say, hey man, I want to be the black college. He gave us that image, we did it. So he decided, he started seeing the filth that was on TV and said, I want a whole station because I can put out positive, good programming that can get good results. I mean, well-intentioned. He didn't right. understand what that really meant. It, it, it is interesting how that really influenced a whole generation of us to go to HBCUs. Now, you know, you and I went to Hampton University. Uh, but I remember we would sit there and watch A Different World in the dormitories, we all gather around, and it was kind of like a scene from that, you know, Dear White People show where everybody watched TV together. We really did that. We right. really engaged in that activity where we watched those shows together. And I, I do remember how powerful, how powerful that TV show was. Yeah, and see, but again, it goes to, to a, when they originally did that, NBC was failing. They were just looking for some money. And they wanted something to hit. When Cosby came out and it was a hit, they were making money. And they took over TV with the ratings so they could charge more for advertising and all that kind of stuff. So it was an economic thing. But once Cosby started taking it in a different direction, because now it started, like you said, it started affecting the way young people thought and what we did. It took us away from the idea of wanting to sell dope and all this kind of stuff and say, I want to go to college. I want to have a good future. I want to meet these these women in college and have, you know, I want to think and be in class. And we started thinking differently. He began to have impact on not just, see, see, I want people to go back in time. It wasn't just the Cosby show. Now the Cosby show comes out. Now everybody in the different networks are trying to compete with the Cosby's. So you got rock. So you start getting these, yeah, you start getting... Whoa. And Rock got to the Whoa. point. Whoa. Whoa. What was the sister's name on Rock? I, I got to diverge for a second, man. What was that sister's name on Rock? She was fine. I don't remember her name. I know she was fine, boy. <laughs> wife. Woo. Woo. She was... Okay. All right. 
back back to back to the back to the <laughs> IG. Bring it back. I had, I had bring to it take back. a woman break just to appreciate that sister. <laughs> Look, you know that I knew. You know I ain't, ain't asked you which one. I knew exactly who you was talking about. <laughs> he had quite a wife, didn't he? Um, Woo! But uh, she was a strong woman too. A good woman. I'm gonna tell you what's funny when you say that, and I tell people this: they always laugh because I was young. But do you know the single black woman that eliminated like all other races? from my consciousness in terms of looking at women. Because when we were growing up, you know, it was Heather Locklear and it was all these other white females that we thought were free because they were the ones that were on TV. One black woman came to TV and literally after that moment, I never ever looked at other women outside the black race. Like she completely wiped the rest of them out. You know who that was? Who was that? Stay fly, stay fly. Cosby's wife. I, really? I knew he was going to say that. Felicia oh. Rashad? Bruh, yes. Listen, bruh. She was smart. She was fine. She had a smile that would kill you. I was done. All right. I was okay. like, the black woman, that's it. Ain't, ain't no others. Yeah, that's her right there on rock. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, yeah. She was, she, well, she still is. Ella Joyce is still, is still uh, blessed. I'll put it that way. Beautiful woman. Yeah, that, that's her now. She's still blessed. But um, so you're saying Felicia Felicia Rashad changed the whole game. <laughs> when she came on, she was an attorney. She was fine. She was funny. She was an intelligent woman. She was just everything I want in a woman. Okay. And I was a young guy, but she was just beautiful. I just I liked her. She was like. A black woman, you know, she had a personality. I mean, look at that. Come on, man. You know what? I have to admit, I was team Denise. I was all into some Denise back then. Um, <laughs> Felicia Rashad reminded me too much of the people I grew up with, the women I grew up okay. with. So, but you know what? Look at this picture here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. You know what? I never saw this picture, but uh, she got a little Ola Ray thing going on right there. You know what I mean? Hey, you remember Ola Ray? I do. Okay. I- I'm sure, Crumb Snatcher, you may not remember Ola Ray. I- I- I'm sure you don't. She was, uh, yeah, that's her back in the day, man. She, she was she was okay. Back to the uh, regularly scheduled program. <laughs> Go ahead, Igeni man. Go ahead, Igeni. Well, one of the things that happened was again we got Rock. We get these other programs, and if you remember, Rock went from Joey being silly at one time to the point where now Rock is becoming a politician. He's going to run for mayor. Right. Right, right. Dope in the black community with Tone Loke, and they going out cleaning up the community uh, and, and doing things to try to get free health care for people. And uh, they were taking on serious issues and showing real manhood and real womanhood and community cooperation and responsibility. And they really began to change the climate of the way we looked at the world. And if we look at what we have today, and we look at what we had then, we will understand that in order to get our people in the condition we're in today, you could not have had this kind of programming continue. 
Right, right. So, so they wiped Rock out for no good reason. It was getting great ratings. They wiped it out. Uh, Cosby show went off and everything. So when Bill Cosby comes back talking about, I'm going to come back on, on air and try to buy a network. The reason that was an issue is because unbeknownst to us, a decision had been made where the direction of degeneracy and debauchery that media was going to go into. And they did not want anything healthy and decent to be available for our people. Now they didn't announce that to us, but they, they don't want to have to compete with anything. And the idea of Bill Cosby owning a major network, and we already know the direction he's gonna push things with, because we can look at the Cosby show. It totally counter to the homophile, degeneracy, me too, feminist, anti-male, anti-family, do it for yourself, freaky deaky type of environment that we're in now. This, this could have never happened if Cosby had a network. He didn't know that. He knew that he wanted to do something that was better. He didn't understand the declaration of war he was making by talking about owning a network because the small hats own all of the networks. Right. And, and so, they, and when you say small hats, the white so-called uh, Jews. Okay. There, there are six major companies in the world, all all owned and or controlled by Jews, uh, small hats that control the media, that the media diet of the world, really. Six major major media conglomerates. Own almost everything that we look at is owned or subsidiary of one of the six major conglomerates. So what are they? I don't have them off the top of my head right now, but if you if you put in uh, if you go up there and put down now uh, who own who are the six major media conglomerates, it'll pop in on you uh, YouTube. And it'll be it'll be it'll be six of them. There you go, boom. Yeah, all the major media. Go to yeah, you can go to that one right there. Yep, there you go. GE, News Corp, Disney, Viacom, Time Warner, CBS. But the thing is, these things change because somebody may buy one of them, but it's all the same folks. So if this was one year, and then then somebody buys CBS, none. But it's still six major companies that own the conglomerates and own everything, control everything. Which means, and since all of them are owned and or controlled by Zionists, it means every message you get, for the most part, is, is Zionism, which is really is anti-black racism. All right, so when you use the term Zionism, when you use the term Zionism, I understand it in a totally different way. I understand okay. it in a really positive way. What do you mean by Zionism? Okay, all right. When we say Zionism, we're talking about the the international organized whites who call themselves Jews. Many of them are from Ashkenazi, they call Ashkenazi. And some of them are Sephardim. It's made up of two main groups of whites who call themselves Jews. Basic converts to Judaism. Sephardic, who come more out of Turkey, uh, in that region there, and then the, uh, the Ashkenazi that come out of the Caucasus Islands of Russia, and they've moved around in different places throughout the ages, but essentially these two groups come together, and they dominate the direction of the world. They control the economics, the banking systems, they control pretty much uh, all of the media, they control the mechanisms that determine what happens on the planet. How do they obtain that control? I, I know in my studies... 
my studies in particular, I studied Judaism and, uh, you know, Jewish culture. And I, I learned that in the Torah proper, there are a lot of dictates and statements and revelations that deal with controlling business and controlling money. Um, so are you saying that these two groups took those teachings to the extreme? Uh, they did. And in fact, they have a Bible that is more specific to the way that they operate than the Torah. It's called the Babylonian Talmud. Right. Okay. So the Torah is a Bible that they use. But the real instruction manual for world domination and the ideology of how they should treat others is in the Babylonian Talmud. And the basic essential idea is that the only real human being or person on the planet is a Jew. All the rest of us are like animals to be herded like sheep in any direction they want to herd us. And it doesn't matter if you're black or white. See, there's one thing that our people get very confused. When we think racism, we think Donald Trump. What we don't understand is from our perspective, whether they're white Anglo-Saxon or a white Jewish individual, both of them are racist. That's true. But from the Zionist perspective, they don't consider themselves as being white. They're Jews. And whites are animals, and black people are animals. They call us Schwarzes. That's the term they use for black people, Schwarzes. They like the N-word. Um, we're Schwarzes, and, and all of us collectively are what they call Goyim. And, and without getting deep into the Zionism, the basic premise is none of us have any value. We're like, again, we're like sheep or fish in the sea that you can do and use at your own discretion. And so based on the tenets of being able to understand that if you control, uh, Carter G. Whiston said this, if you control a man's mind, you don't have to worry about his actions. Right, right. The Zionists and, and the Ashkenazim, what they've done is they've, and that's why they, they desire to control media. Because they say through controlling media, you can control what ideas and thoughts go into the minds of people. Once you control what goes in, you already know what's coming out because you're feeding. And so it is through the mechanism of media manipulation and control and education of the minds of the masses of people worldwide through infrastructure and education, through the major motion pictures, television, radio, newspapers, through controlling these things that put the information and the thinking into the minds of the people. Pornography, all of these things, this is how they get the results out to be able to take control and manipulate people around the planet. Dude, I see why you lost your job. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's an interesting viewpoint. Interesting viewpoint. Wow. And you, you, you obviously have information to back it up. And I also remember when I was doing my study on Judaism, I read the book the secret relationship between blacks and Jews. And I think what you said, what you just said was really like a synopsis of that book. Um, the, but the book had footnotes. Uh, interestingly enough, I remember I had a friend who was Jewish and I let him look at the book and he said, you know, I hate everything that's said in this book, but the records demonstrate that the information was correct. And that was what he said. Um, he actually... 
Yeah, I don't know what happened to that book now. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. They have three books, Secret Relationships Between Blacks and Jews, part one, two, and three. Two is my favorite, but one is powerful, too. I didn't so much care for three. I felt like it's pretty much a good chapter in a, in a, in a great book, as opposed to a book of, on its own. But at any rate, Amazon just banned all three of those books from Amazon. Now, let me tell you why that's relevant. Wow. I'm going to tell you why that's relevant. There was a pedophile who had a book about being a pedophile and how he go out to children. Put the book up on Amazon and people were fighting saying, you can't sell this. And Amazon said, we're not going to fight against a person's right to free speech. So the pedophile could have a book talking about how to go out to get children. But the nation of Israel... Were these guys part of that NAMBLA, National Association of Men Loving Boys group? I don't know if the author was a member of NAMBLA, but he certainly would have been a supporter of NAMBLA. In fact, he was a self-proclaimed pedophile. Now, they would not ban that book from Amazon. I mean, Amazon said we're not going to do it. We believe in the First Amendment. But yet, they are now saying that a book that is, I mean, three books that have been shared and read by people for decades now, first two, are now being banned from being sold on Amazon under the guise that they're quote-unquote anti-Semitic. Wow, that's deep. Hey, look, bro, we have 10 minutes left in our recording. Um, Bring us to the heat, man. Bring us to the... I mean, you've already baked us. (laughs) Man, boy. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, I'm coming down this Saturday want to ask everybody to come out. I'm going to talk about, you know, the battlefield. Really, we're in, well, we're in a, quite a situation. The 21st century is going to be very, very interesting. We're in a similar a situation similar, maybe a little more perilous than even Brother Garvey was in. Brother Garvey realized that if he didn't do what he ended up doing, that we wouldn't survive the 20th century. And he organized and captured the spirit in, in, of black people internationally and got us moving towards our collective self-development. And even though his organization and name was destroyed, so many organizations and movements and people and efforts grew out of it, whether it be in Zikaway or Kwame Nkrumah or the NOI or just so many different, uh, the Black Panther Party, uh, Robert F. Williams, all of these things in one way or the other have connections to the Garvey movement. That's what allowed us to survive the 20th century. We're facing pure international racial extermination. It's not an if, and, but, or maybe. I I just got back from Africa. And as it relates to the time we're in, it's very, very perilous. But we're in a great situation if we wake up and take action. Because the powers in the world are fighting each other right now. Which means we have time to get ourselves together and make decisions in our own interest. And we have access to do that because we have access to the internet and travel. So we can actually connect internationally and create a whirlwind of self-improvement and empowerment for black people that can help us survive the 21st century. At the same time, the threats that we are facing as African people internationally, we've never faced a more threatening, dangerous situation. We've never had the kind of open, overt, publicized genocide and murder and assassination of black life 
internationally at the same time, we've never been in a situation like this ever. And so when I'm going to come talk about this Saturday, I'm going to talk a little bit about the things that happened when I was in Africa, the things that I was seeing, some of the initiatives that we're starting to fight what they're bringing to the African continent. And ultimately, they've already tested it on us and they're taking it to Africa for the full extermination of our people. I'm going to put it into a context so we can see, hey, let me make it simple. Here's what we're facing. I'm going to show you the threats, all different directions. Then I'm going to say, hey, here's all we have to do to win. It's not it's not very difficult to take ourselves out of this. However, and I'll say this, and I guess we'll you know begin to wrap up. A few things I got to talk about. One, our entire national leadership internationally has been compromised. We may have one per. I know uh, Marco Fuli, uh, His Excellency Marco Fuli in Tanzania seems to be like one of those ones that's not bought and sold. A serious black man. But for the most part, if you go anywhere on this planet, the national leadership has been bought and paid for. Most of them are homophiles, homosexuals or pedophiles. Not all of them. But even the ones that are not are sellouts. They've been bought. So there's no possible way for us to do anything in our own interest without removing these individuals from positions of power. We have to have a complete, we got to go down to formula and restart in terms of leadership and re-elect and select our leadership in the African world community. The national leadership. We have some great leaders on the ground like you brothers and there's many sisters, people on the ground doing great work. I'm not talking about that. I know the people that we see when that TV turns on supposedly represent black people, uh, the, the Roland Martins of the world, the the uh, 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 Kamala Harris, she's not even black, but you know who I'm talking. I mean, uh, Cory Booker's, the Obamas, the entire national leadership of the African world community are enemies to our people. Minus one or two that are not even worth mentioning because it's only one or two. And this is in every country I look at. Like it's not just America. So the reason we're in the condition we're in is largely due to the fact that. They're in positions of access to resources and they're our enemies. There's nothing we're going to do without being able to say, look, y'all got to go. You're not going to be in, you're not going to have your hands on the pulse of access to resources for our people. Because when you do that, you prevent us who really care about our people from being able to do anything and the people from being able to uplift themselves. So that's one thing we got to talk about. Two, and I'm going to talk more about this in depth when I get there. I'm about to say something that in the modern context is going to sound crazy. And it's the first time I've ever said it. So you all get an exclusive here. All right. All right. And I'm sure uh, Chrome Snatch is going to have it all over IG. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's going to sound crazy, but it's hit me after my trip there what we need to do. We need a monarch. 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 I'm going to say it again. Okay, bro, I, 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 I know that the Black Panther movie was a great film. <laughs> forever. But to say we need a monarch, you said some stuff before and I'm like, huh. But to say we need a monarch? Oh, no, okay. I'm going to tell you why. All right. Here's the problem. We're so full of immaturity. I'm just being honest. And so full of lack of discernment 
And we've been so marginalized and divided through religion, politics, and all these things, sexual, all this kind of stuff they have. So that we have to be realistic of what it's going to take for us to put ourselves together. We're not going to get agreement from our people with the personality types we have now. It's not going to work that way. We're just way too divided. What we need is one person that we say, I don't care if I'm in America or not. I don't care if I'm in England or not. That person is the person we've assigned to leadership. What do you want us to do? And then we do what they say do. The reason it will work is because one is work to the past. That's how we've always done it. That's what Narma was. That's what Mensa um, uh, Hotep was. That was. This is not like something new. I'm not coming up with something new. Every great African civilization, it wasn't never built off this weird thing that they call they call democracy. But really, it's just two groups that are designed to fight each other. Like it doesn't even make sense that you got two groups and their object is to fight each other. That doesn't even make sense from an African perspective. Why not have one group that's organized so that there's a person that leads and then there's a group that says hey that gives direction and if it's a good leader then we get where we go and what it does is it cuts back on all this arguing we have one person that says and now each of us have to do our own work we can't just wait for that person to do because only one person can only do so much but if we as African people give allegiance to one person then that one person can say something needs to happen there we all have to do it because we've given them our allegiance And now we can have a super state, not because somebody else financed it, but because we've just agreed it's going to be a super state. So we support that. But we also can get stuff done because we've given somebody permission to tell us what to do. And we said we'll follow. We need a monarch. Stay fly. Wow. Wow. The views expressed on the Fly Guy podcast by the guests of the Fly Guy podcast are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. <laughs> stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. Stay conscious. Stay fly. Stay fly, 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 stay fly.